The tar sands of Canada are so rich, the nation is second only to Saudi Arabia for proven crude oil reserves. One of the companies developing the sands, Shell Canada, wants to expand its operations. But this region is also home to several indigenous First Nations communities who fiercely protest Shell's plans. The Athabasca Chippewan First Nation, ACFN, has challenged the expansion plans in court. Chelsea Fluke is executive director of the Sierra Club Prairie Chapter. Welcome to Living on Earth. Hello, thanks for having me. Now tell me, the First Nation objects to Shell's plans to expand its jack pine tar sands mine. Why? Well, the complaints are numerous. It stems back to the earlier jack pine mine, where Shell made an agreement with the Athabasca Chippewan First Nation on mitigating impacts. And Shell, according to ACFN, has broken that agreement. When it comes time to making a decision on a new project, how can the First Nation expect any of its concerns to be addressed when even when you sign a deal with the exact same company that they don't honor those agreements. Well, what are they saying didn't happen? I mean, what does it actually look like up there? The Shell project is open pit mining. The new expansion requires mining out 21 kilometers of the Muskeg River, which is, you know, aside from mining out a river and the environmental impacts, there are all kinds of cultural uh, significance to that area of the river itself for the Athabasca Chippewan First Nation people. So they are saying no to this project, and they want to be able to assert that right to say no, as it's enshrined in, in treaty rights and constitutional protections, and that's why they're raising this case now. So the First Nation argues that it would be illegal for the Canadian government to give the okay to expand uh, these tar sands uh, mines. What's the basis for that? Well, the legal basis stems back to treaty rights between the Crown and uh, treaty people, or the First Peoples of this land. Those agreements were enshrined in the Constitution when Canada brought the Constitution home, and it was sort of written in under Section 35 that treaty rights people and indigenous people of this land have special constitutional considerations for, you know, development of their land, for any kind of disturbance of their land, and it really tried to enshrine the idea that so long as the grass grows and the rivers flow and the sun shines, that the people can be there time immemorial. So parts of these projects are having such massive impacts on the land, on the water, on the wildlife that people are still dependent on. And so they are seeing more and more that their medicines are disappearing, the water levels are getting lower, they're not sure if it's safe to eat the fish or drink the water. Uh, They're finding moose and other animals that they eat with various tumors and, and lesions and things. So the basis for them saying no to this is that it's constitutionally enshrined for them to do so, However, we have a federal government that is pretty much hell-bent on developing these projects at any and all costs. So if I understand you correctly, uh, this treaty was made with the Crown. In other words, the well, it must have been Queen Victoria of England. So this is more than 100 yeah. years ago. And so part of that process, when Canada made its own constitution separate from the British constitution, part of what was written into it was the recognition that there were past agreements and that they were going to do their best to honor those agreements. This, however, you know, is running up against the history of various pieces of legislation like the Indian Act, which restricted status. It didn't let Native people vote. It restricts many things about their lives, and they have to have status cards. And Canada has a long history of residential school systems where they sought to literally kill the Indian in the child, as it was said in the original documents. So there's this long process where there's a cultural 
and very historical genocide that's happening against these people where if you can take them off their land, if you can displace them from practicing their traditional ways, then those treaty rights no longer exist. Now, how has the Canadian government reacted to the First Nations charge in this case of regarding these uh, tar sands? They are there as, as interveners. They are also there as the judge, jury, and executioner of the project. So there's a bit of a conflict of interest in, in our opinion. Uh, one of the former ministers, Jim Prentice, who left his post, he penned a letter to our mainstream media here in Canada saying that, you know, the duty to consult has not been met in these projects and that this leaves a lot of these projects open to a lot of financial risk and that this has basically exposed the public to a lot of that risk because if in the event that these treaty rights are pushed for and that people do push for them to be respected, then a lot of these land leases mean that the public would have to reimburse these companies for the land leases that they purchased illegitimately. What does this uh, situation mean now for the future of resource development and indigenous people's rights in Canada? Well, I think that there's been a couple test cases at the Supreme Court level where various communities have asserted their treaty rights and taken it all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court has left things open to rulings, very much so, that would favor the ACFN in this case. So I think that this could really set a precedent in the tar sands region alone for more and more communities to stand up to these major oil companies and to expect that their voices will be heard. Chelsea, what's the best possible outcome from this, from your perspective? Well, I think the best possible outcome from our perspective at Sierra Club would be that we would see a First Nation asserting its rights to say no to a project, and then that would get respected. It's also enshrined in the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples to say no to these projects with free, prior, and informed consent. So I think that Canada has at least a moral obligation to look at itself and to look at the UN Declaration and start actually taking meaningful action on, on those moral imperatives. So that's our hope there. And if it just so happens that First Nations are deciding that they want to protect their land and their way of life, then there's environmental benefits to that as well. Chelsea Fluke is the executive director of the Sierra Club Prairie chapter in Edmonton, Alberta. Thanks so much for taking the time, Chelsea. All right. Thanks so much for having me. In published reports, Shell Canada said that though expanding would cause substantial habitat loss, it has extensive plans to mitigate the damage.